Hello, and welcome to Spilling the Milk, the podcast where we talk about what it's really like to breastfeed. Each episode features a different mom sharing her breastfeeding journey and her lessons learned. By talking about our complex feelings and expectations surrounding breastfeeding, maybe we can help moms feel less alone and more empowered. By getting this important conversation out in the open, we can work toward better support for new parents and breastfeeding moms in particular. My guest today is Lauren, a wife and mom of two little girls, Eliana, who's two and a half, and Charlotte, who's seven months old. She is also a social worker who works with adults with developmental disabilities, and she's trying to balance it all, just like all of us. Hi, Lauren. Welcome. Thank you so much for your support, for getting this podcast off the ground, and for meeting with me today. If you could just take us back to the very beginning of your breastfeeding journey. Yeah. Um, so I guess I always had in my head that I was going to breastfeed. I think that I knew that I was going to do it no matter what, <laughs> that type of mentality. And honestly, for me, it was more of a, a budget thing, right? I didn't want to pay for formula. And I knew that there were so many benefits Um, to breastfeeding. And so it was a combination of both. But I think deep down, I was really once I got past the six month mark, in my head, it was really a financial (laughs) benefit at that point. When I um, got I had an emergency C section with Eliana, my oldest, which didn't really um, hinder my breastfeeding experience at all. I was full term when I went into labor, I was induced, ended up in an emergency C section, she was able to latch right away didn't really have any issues in the hospital. My milk came in, you know, regularly, I I believe after a couple of days, probably three or four days. I remember um, I'm pretty heavy chested and I really didn't think my uh, chest was going to get much bigger, right? Remember when my milk came in, I remember looking in the mirror and I went, oh my God. (laughs) Wow. I didn't think they could get bigger and they got um, a a lot bigger. (laughs) Um, but that, that first couple of days, I think as a first time mom, there's so much going on. I was recovering from a C-section that nursing luckily came pretty easy in those first few days. I wasn't having latch issues. She was drinking, she was eating fine. Um, I think it was just kind of a blur, like I said, with every first time parent, just trying to figure it out. Um, and then the pain started. And so I had a pretty rough first 12 weeks of Eliana's nursing you know, life. I had pretty constant pain at the latch um, to the point where some latches I was holding onto the couch anticipating the latch because the pain was that bad. And I knew it would be that bad. She would get on, she would suck, she could drink. I had a very fast letdown. I am very strange, I think, from talking to other moms and I don't feel my letdown. I really don't have a sensation even when I'm full when I um, am nursing, which is another very (laughs) strange concept to a lot of people. The biggest issue was the latch. And I really just kind of suffered through it. And I can't pinpoint what exactly made me continue to suffer through it, right, without getting help. I think that there is a lot of stigma around, like, it should just come natural and it should just be this super easy thing. And you don't know what pain is good pain and what's bad pain, right? You don't know what's normal, what's not normal. And I think that I just kept telling myself that this was just normal pain. 
and that it would get better. I would just lather a bunch of nipple cream on and, you know, continue to tell myself that it was fine. I never saw a lactation consultant, probably because I'm stubborn and I thought that I just knew it all. Maybe part of it too was not wanting to admit to someone that I didn't know what I was doing or admit that something was wrong um, with Eliana or with me. And after about the 12 week mark, really nothing changed. It just kind of magically got better. And I wish I could pinpoint why that was, but things continued to get better. Her latch got deeper. Um, at one point in the middle of this, all my stepsister came over, helped me re- really watched my daughter latch. And she helped me kind of, you know, position her a little bit better. Again, I don't really know what happened after that. We nursed until about nine months. So from, you know, three months to nine months, the latch was great. She was nursing great. I then got a, took a pretty big hit to my supply when she started sleeping through the night around seven months. I also was a full-time employee. So I was working full-time starting from her, her, she was 13 weeks old when I went back to work. I, I don't know if it was a combination of working outside of the home and then her sleeping through the night and I was not getting up to pump in the middle of the night. Um, but I really took a pretty big hit to my supply. And I remember at her nine month well child visit, my pediatrician said she really hasn't gained any weight between her six month appointment and her nine month appointment. I went home and it kind of hit me that I had been, you know, rationing her bottles. And that was a horrific thing as a mom to realize. And I didn't do it because I was starving her, right? I was doing it because I was so stressed out about my supply that Mm -hmm. I think I just dealt with a fussy baby when in reality she was hungry. You know, I was giving her like a four ounce bottle when maybe she needed five or six ounces. And again, I think as a first time mom, I was just super caught up in this idea that there's no way my supply can be dropping. There's no, you know, I don't want to give up because I don't want to be seen as a failure and I don't want to give my baby formula. I don't want to have to tell people that I couldn't breastfeed my baby until she was at least a year old. It was really hard for me. And fast forward, I took my daughter to a pediatric dentist at two years old and never once during my daughter's well child visits did my pediatrician and we love our pediatrician but never once did she you know notice anything or really pay attention to her mouth as far as a lip or tongue tie was concerned and so i took her to the pediatric dentist at 2 years old for her first uh, dentist appointment and my dentist asked me if i nursed and i said yes and it was extremely painful for the first 12 weeks Um, she said, no wonder you have a child that has a horrific, uh, lip tie and point it all made sense, (laughs) right? Like 12 weeks of pain made total sense for my poor baby that had a horrible, um, lip tie that I knew nothing about. Were you even at the time, would you even have known to check for that? Or would you even have known what that was? No, no. Right. So there's, there's no way I would have known. And even I do remember the term getting tossed around, but I wouldn't have known what to look for if it wasn't obvious. I really don't even remember looking for one. Yeah, it was quite shell shock when the dentist said she had such a substantial um, lip tie. I had no idea. And it all made it all made a lot more sense at that point. Yeah, it's kind of amazing that even with that, at 12 weeks, you were able to find a rhythm. 
Yes. And again, I wish I had better answers for why that was. I don't know if she kind of figured out how to maneuver her mouth or, you know, our positioning got better. Maybe I started to relax a little bit more. I guess you could also look at the timeline of I went back to work at 13 weeks and I was pumping 40 hours a week. We had a lot less time on the breast and a lot more time with the bottle. I was nursing at night and in the mornings still, but I was also doing some bottles during the day on the weekends. So it could have been a combination of that. And we were warned that subsequent children could have ties, which was a good warning because we knew what to look for. And so um, I have a seven month old. And when my this baby was a scheduled C-section and everything was great, she latched pretty well. Um, and really, it was night and day difference with those first few weeks. So I had, a, you know, the first week, maybe two weeks of some I shouldn't even call it pain, but just sensitivity on the nipples, that initial rawness, I guess you could call it, and used cream. And really, we there was no issues. Once um, kind of you, you get a little bit calloused to it, we have had a really great nursing experience. Again, I am blessed that I have a good letdown and a good flow. Um, and she has been nursing really great, no issues, again, until... Um, she has started sleeping through the night and now we're struggling with supply issues again at, you know, a pretty similar point as I did with um, Eliana. And you said the first time around, you really put a ton of pressure on yourself. So how would you compare that to this time around? So I think it's interesting because I would say up until six months of Charlotte, Charlotte is my youngest. So up until six months of Charlotte's life, I really thought, oh my gosh, this is so much better. We're going to definitely make it to a year old. With COVID-19, I've been home. I didn't return to work. I've been working remotely. So I've been able to nurse on demand much longer than I ever did with Eliana. And I thought for sure we would make it. And then again, she started sleeping through the night and my um, supply has drastically tanked. I'm really struggling. I sent my, I sent Charlotte and Eliana to my in-laws tonight, actually. And I sent my last 45 ounces of milk with my mother-in-law. I'm still going to keep pumping and I'm pumping every two hours when she's not with me. And even when she is with me, I've been pumping because she is not getting enough um, from the breast. And so as a as a second time mom, now my pressure is, you know, comparing her to your first, right? I'm feeling guilty that I made it nine months fully breast milk with Eliana. And I'm, you know, facing the point where I'm probably introducing formula this weekend at seven and a half months old. That is a different level of guilt that I couldn't do the same thing for Charlotte that I did with Eliana. Yeah. Yeah, it's like if you didn't have that benchmark, what's the, what is seven and a half months? Like that's just arbitrary time, but you have this benchmark of nine months in your head. Yeah, definitely. And so it's it's just been a different kind of I think I've noticed too, I have a couple of friends that they did not breastfeed as long as I did, or maybe they chose not to breastfeed at all. And I have always been such a big advocate for for fed as best. And it doesn't matter. And whatever you choose to do as a mom, you know, my decision was to breastfeed. And I feel strongly about the benefits of breastfeeding for mom, for baby, for immunity, for bonding. But I've always said that if that's not for you, that's okay. And I work in mental health. And so I preach about mental health, 
And it's super easy, I think, to tell other people that you need to do what's best for you. And then the tables turn and those same people are telling me and my husband is telling me and my mother is telling me, right, that it's okay, Lauren, and you can get formula and Charlotte will be totally fine. And it's a very hard pill to swallow when it's your own advice being given back to you. Mm-hmm. And you described yourself as stubborn earlier. So yeah, um, <laughs> very stubborn. <laughs> I think too, there's, you know, you know, lactation consultants are not super easily accessible, or maybe they are easily accessible, but the knowledge in my experience has not been that that is accessible, right? I mean, I remember when I was looking for a lactation consultant with Eliana, um, because of our latch issues, they're only open certain days a week and certain hours. And, you know, you're a first time mom and I was recovering from a C-section and I couldn't drive myself, but I was at home by myself with this baby. You know, you've got enough doctor's appointments already. Your your baby's got doctor's appointments. You have a doctor's appointment. Um, I was making arrangements for all of those appointments and to get transportation. And so honestly, the last thing I wanted to do was to add another appointment onto my list to go to and try to accommodate. And then you ask yourself, does insurance cover it? And can I pay for it out of pocket? And is that a worthwhile expense to pay for out of pocket. I think all those questions are very real and very daunting to someone, no matter, you know, if it's your first, second or third baby, that there are very real barriers that people just don't, um, and myself included, didn't want to try and and overcome. I 100% agree with that. It was like part one, I can do this on my own. I don't really need anybody else. Part two, even if I did think I needed someone else's help, how would I go about that? Just like you said, like the barrier to making that happen. Even right, even when I know someone now who's struggling, I'm like, oh, you should contact a lactation consultant. I couldn't tell you exactly how to do that, but I think mm-hmm. it's a good idea. <laughs> For me, it's like, I'm pretty sure that there was a lactation consultant, but it was, you know, in a separate building next to the hospital or, and, you know, there's so many confusing Things. And I will say they give you, there's a lactation specialist in the hospital. They came to visit with me with both of my deliveries. They ask you how things are going. Um, and they were very, you know, very helpful in the hospital. I even called the um, lactation consultant, I believe with Charlotte, my youngest, I called them a second time to get some help. But I think when you're in the hospital, I think it happens with everything in life, Right. You never need the help in the hospital. (laughs) You never need the help in the beginning. Then you get home and you say to yourself, well, yeah, this is totally different than, of course, baby latched in the hospital. Of course, they're getting milk and all of these things are, are going great. But when you get home, that's when life is real. And there's so many other things going on around you that it can become overwhelming very quickly. I agree. And I do think, um, I know for myself, I was on ibuprofen for the first however long, which kind of dulls any pain. And Mm -hmm. so kind of don't know how much pain you're in until you stop taking that or anything else that you're on. And then it kind of kicks in like, oh, this is really painful. Then something might be up, but I didn't know it until now. Right. Totally. Yeah. That's one thing. And I, I looked into just the process to become 
um, a board certified, yeah, certified lactation consultant. And it's a huge, there's so many hoops to jump through because I feel like um, there's probably not enough to go around. That's problem number one. And then like an antiquated model, like you said, like, well, if you're having problems between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. on a Wednesday, you could stop by our clinic. Like, what am I supposed to do at four in the morning on Monday? Yes. And again, there's so many, and this is not the profession's problem, but this is the reality of the mom is that then you have to get there and make sure that your baby is actually going to be hungry and your baby is going to cooperate with getting on the breast and allowing that experience to take place in front of the lactation consultant so that they can help you out. And like you said, usually the problem is not at this perfect time of day. My problem is at nine o'clock at night when I'm exhausted and I have not slept in three days and this baby will not latch or I'm in pain from this baby latching and I just want help. But no, it's nine o'clock at night and there isn't help to be afforded. Or you get into the mom groups and you jump on Facebook and Unfortunately, not everyone is encouraging and not everyone's on your side. And some of those answers are, oh, it just comes in. It's no big deal. This is all you have to do. Or they talk about it like it's this super quick, easy fix when it's not like that at all. I think when people ask for help, it's a very thin line of people encouraging and being able to pinpoint what problems could be with breastfeeding fixing those problems and allowing, you know, the nursing relationship to continue um, versus the constant pushing that there is no other option but breastfeeding. And there's no other option except for figuring it out. And I think that's where we get into tricky situations for women that at that point feel that they have to keep going when it's not good for their mental health or when their baby is not gaining weight or when there are things that are going wrong, but they've been pushed upon so heavily that that's the only option that then there's, there's further issues after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've definitely seen that. um, Like you're saying, when people post asking for help, I know you've said you're a big fan of the Haka and I unfortunately missed the boat. I think it, came onto the market a little too late for me after I had my last baby. But could you just tell us how that works, what it is, why you love it? Yeah. So the Haka is just a silicone milk catcher. That is all it is. And I guess that you could say there's suction to it, but there's not, it doesn't pull milk out. I shouldn't, maybe it does pull out milk a little bit, but it's not a pump, right? So what you do is you invert the top of the Haka You place it around your nipple, you squeeze the air out of it, and it, you know, you flip the top of the haka back onto your, around your like areola. Really, all it does is it hangs there. It's this collector. And so when you're pumping or nursing on one side, you would put the haka on the other side. And as you have a letdown, it will catch that letdown in the haka. Usually that letdown is happening no matter what, right? You're having a letdown on both breasts at the same time. And that milk would be going in your bra or it would be being caught in your the pad that you have in there. And so the idea of the haka is to catch the milk that is getting let down from the opposite boob. Really, it's been very, very helpful. It really, in the very beginning when you're you know, not supposed to use an actual electric or manual pump, 
the haka was awesome because you you have an abundance usually in the very beginning when your milk's coming in and it's not regulated right you have more milk and so uh, I could catch two or three ounces per feed of just let down milk that I would freeze and I turned into my stash. That sounds amazing. Like you're saying, it would otherwise just be totally wasted. While I pump one breast, I use the haka on the other. And I usually still catch about two ounces off of my good breast. (laughs) That sounds great. I'm all about not wasting that precious milk. And to that end, we're calling the podcast Spilling the Milk because one of the worst feelings is when you do accidentally spill that hard-earned milk. Do you have any stories where that happened to you? Yeah, this is a caveat to the haka. You have to get a haka with a lid because there's suction on the bottom, so you can suction it to your nightstand, but you still need a lid. Because of this instance, I had it on my nightstand. I was getting out of bed, and I must have moved and hit a pillow. My pillow hit my haka off my nightstand, and I watched three ounces of milk spill all over my nightstand in my bed. Yeah, as a first-time mom that's not sleeping very much, I was devastated, (laughs) to say the least. That sounds awful. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, and then I always like to end with the question, If you could go back to your pre-first baby self and knowing everything you know now about breastfeeding, what is just some simple advice that you would give yourself? I think this sounds pretty cliche, but just to give yourself grace and ask for help when you need help um, and be okay receiving that help. I remember um, my daughter was probably four days old, five days old, maybe. My husband and I were home. It was our one of our, maybe our second night home from the hospital. And she would not soothe. She would not calm down. The hospital told us not to give a pacifier. And we looked at each other at two o'clock in the morning. And I walked right over, opened up the pack of pacifiers and plopped one in her mouth. <laughs> You have to give yourself grace and you have to just do what you feel like is right in that moment. It's okay to to not do it alone. And if you if you have a partner or you have a spouse that's willing and, and there to do it to to be able to take that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Lauren, it's been great speaking with you. Is there anything else you wanted to share before we end here? I don't know. I don't think so. I really appreciate you kind of talking about this and bringing you know, some more awareness and having conversations about it. Cause I think it's really, it's really good to hear from other people and, and compare experiences and know the differences and also kind of to raise awareness to the not so glamorous side of breastfeeding and just kind of motherhood in general. So thank you so much for doing this and let me know if I can help with anything else. I enjoyed talking to Lauren. I appreciated how open and honest she was about everything. And I wanted to call out a few points that came up. The first is the surprise at the two-year dental visit where the dentist right away diagnosed a lip tie when that had not been caught by anyone uh, earlier when the baby was little. And um, I'm going to link to a good resource that explains what lip tie is and how it can be diagnosed and what the impacts can be on breastfeeding. I'm going to link that in the show notes. If you're interested in learning more, please check out the resources. 
the other thing that came up is we talked about the sort of the barriers to going to see a lactation consultant when you're having problems and how you can't always replicate the problem when you get to see a lactation consultant. And I think this is a really big issue. And I've seen, I know, especially during COVID times that some lactation consultants can do like a telehealth visit, which would be more convenient. So I'm wondering if that's maybe the future of going to see a consultant or a hybrid approach, you know, they can triage you over the, over Zoom, and then maybe you can come in at a different time. But I'm really thinking about this because that seems to be one of the big barriers. I'm at home now, I'm not in the hospital, and now I need help. And what's the best way for me to get that? And the last point I want to note is how she was comparing her experience with her second baby to the experience with her first baby. And I think that's only natural. I absolutely have done that. But it does go to show that your experience with both babies could be totally different. And it's not really fair to hold yourself to a certain expectations just because something happened one way with the first baby. Yet, I think we'll all still do it. I just want to point out that that's something to look out for. And that's it for this episode. If you are not subscribed yet to the podcast, please do subscribe. That way, a new episode will magically show up in your app each week. And if you're enjoying the conversations, please leave us a review and tell a friend. It really does help us reach more moms who could use this type of support and connection. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast and share your story, please send an email to spillingthemilkpodcast.com at gmail.com.